As I said, my name is Jared. I'm a Fighting Texas Aggie class of 2008. Whoop. All right. Okay. A little more than the 9 a.m. So uh, my wife and I graduated from here. She's class of 2009, and we loved our time in Aggieland. We really did. We had a great time. Um, but there were some certain Aggies, maybe you've met them, that were difficult at times for us to deal with. Um, so tell me if you know this Aggie. The Aggie that believes College Station is some form of cultural mecca that this is where you return. So everything in their life is about the future of coming back to Aggieland. So even when they're in Aggieland, they're thinking about coming back to Aggieland later, right? Like these guys are already talking about they're juniors and they're already talking about how they want to get this job so they can get season tickets. And like they're picking spouses based upon who would be willing to move back to Aggieland later on, right? These are the people that I'm talking about. And maybe you relate more to me in college. I was the, oh, I'm in four Bible studies a week, Christian. Uh, And so I know what the Lord is doing in the world. And I know that God has more out there than just Texas A&M. And so those people, them, the Aggies that just wanted to come back here were really difficult for me to deal with. Irony of all ironies, I'm back here now. Um, But they were hard. That I had friends and and they were like that and it was difficult. And and my wife and I would go and we'd hang out with them and then come back and it would just be like, oh, I don't want to be like them. I want to see the world and do these things and see how God is moving and working. And, And there was just this issue with me in my heart on these people. How could they be that way? How could they think that way? How could they view the world that way? And I struggled with them. And as we look at this story in the book of Acts, we're going to see how God's people had another group that they struggled with, a group called the Gentiles that they view as them. They viewed them as other, as those people who there was no possible way that they could be used by God, that they could be included in what God was doing. But what we're going to see in this text really, really clearly is that as far as God is concerned, there is no them in the gospel. There's just, there is no them, there is no those people, there is no sect that cannot be reached by God's love and mercy and grace. There is no them in the gospel. So how do we see that in this text? How does it play itself out in the history of the church? Well, the first thing we're going to see is that there is no them in the pursuit of There is no them in how God pursues people. We're looking at this section, and we need to do a little cultural background. So let's look in verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, this is packed full of information that's framing our whole conversation this morning. So let's break this down. Caesarea, the man named Cornelius... Cornelius was a Gentile, okay? And basically at this time period, there were two different types of people in the world as far as God's people were concerned. There were Jews. These were the children of Abraham, the children of the promise, the people that God had called to be his own. And then there were people that weren't, all right? There was the people that God had shown himself to and the people that weren't. And these people were called Gentiles. These people were the ones that didn't have God's revelation of how to interact with him didn't have the revelation of God of how to engage with him. And so for a Jew, the Gentiles were unclean. They were unrighteous. They didn't understand how to interact with the Lord. And so the Jews 
were special people because God had shown himself to them. They had a special relationship with him. And the Gentiles, everyone else, everyone who wasn't Jewish was a Gentile and they were unclean. Not only is Cornelius a Gentile, he's also a centurion. At this point in history, Rome has occupied Jerusalem. They've occupied Israel and they control the land that God had promised to his people. And so not only is this man a Gentile, which is bad enough, but he represents a commander within the army that is occupying the land that God has given to his people. And when a Jew would have read this first verse, they would have looked at this man, Cornelius, and said, there is no way that man can be a part of what God is doing. Everything about who he is and what he does is against what God wants. And so Cornelius was one of them. But thankfully, Scripture shows us a little bit about who Cornelius actually was. Verse 2 tells us that he's a devout man of God who feared the Lord with all his household. He gives alms generously to other people, and he prays continually to God. See, what we see here is that Cornelius is not just what's on the surface to God's people. Cornelius is a man who is seeking the Lord. Cornelius is a man who does desire God and is sensitive to what the Lord is doing on this earth. And so what do we see? With this framework and with this understanding, we're going to see God pursue hard after Cornelius, and in doing so, he is pursuing hard after the people that are other. He's pursuing hard after those people. How's he doing that? He's going to do it in three ways. First thing he's going to do is give a vision to Cornelius. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he, Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, Cornelius, stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one, Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. First thing God does in his pursuit of them is he is going to show himself and reveal by an angel himself to Cornelius. And so Cornelius has this vision. Hey, send for Peter. Now, Peter is not just any Christian. Peter is one of the 12. Peter is a disciple. He walked with God. He walked with Jesus Christ, and he knows intimately about what God is doing on this world. God isn't just sending some random person. He's sending his best to the Gentiles. He's sending the one that knows the most about what he's doing to the Gentiles. And he reveals this to Cornelius and says, go, go get him. And so God is pursuing Cornelius, but he's also pursuing him through the vision that he gives to Peter that we read to start. Peter is going to be up on the housetop at about noon, and he gets hungry, which isn't all that surprising to us, but interestingly, the Greek word here for hungry, this is the only time that Greek word is used in the entire scriptures. The only time we see this word here is in this moment where Peter is going to experience this unique hunger that causes him to go, oh, dude, I need some food. And then he falls into this trance, And in this trance, this great sheet, it's like a big sail, is the Greek word for this word, is unfurled before him. And on this is 
all kinds of animals. And for a dude that's hungry, that's got to be pretty appealing. And not only that, somebody stands up and says, or a voice comes to him and says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Well, what does Peter say in verse 14? By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter thinks he's making the right call here. Peter thinks he's making the righteous choice because he's looking at these animals and reptiles and birds and saying, I can't eat of those things. Now, if we had time, we'd look back at the Levitical law and we'd see that God had declared certain foods that were unclean for his people. He'd said, hey, reptiles, not a good idea. Let's, let's not eat those. And I don't know about you, but I'm not personally into snakes. So uh, that one makes some sense to me, right? He said, that animals that don't chew the cud, right? Aggie should appreciate this. Aggie, animals that don't chew the cud are animals that we are not supposed to eat. Animals with cloven hooves or divided hooves like a pig are animals that we should avoid. These animals are unclean. And there were certain types of birds that were also unclean. And so Peter's looking at the sheet and he thinks he's making the righteous choice that he is following after what the Lord has declared. But what does God say? Verse 15. The voice comes to him a second time and says, What God has made clean, do not call common. And God is going to lay this foundation for Peter, for Cornelius, for the Gentiles, and for the church. Where he's going to say, I'm the one that decides what's clean and what's not. I'm the one that decides what's common and what's not. And if I decide to make a thing clean, don't call it common. Don't call common what God has called clean. And he reveals this three times to Peter. And so Peter's kind of left wondering, okay, what's going on? Cornelius has received a vision. Peter's received a vision. And and Peter is pondering what's happening here. And in verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm in the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? See, God didn't just give a vision to Cornelius. He doesn't just give a vision to Peter. But by the Spirit, he gives instruction as well. Because God's pursuit is going hard after these Gentiles and hard after these people that Peter looked at as unclean and uncommon and as other. And he says, by his Spirit, you go with these men. Go with these Gentile men. And go do what they do what I've called you to do. It's this really, really awesome moment where we're seeing just how far God is going, but we shouldn't be surprised. If we look back in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, the father of all of Israel, the father of the people of God, what does he say? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth to, from your country and from your relatives. And from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so, shall, and so you shall be a blessing. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See from the beginning God was using his people to pursue all the peoples of the world. 
Not to call one group out just to say, hey, you're going to be special and we're going to have a tight relationship and we're going to keep other people away. But no, I'm going to use my people to bless the whole world, to pursue the whole world, to bless all of the other families. There is no them in the pursuit of God. When my wife and I went on our first date, um, I didn't make the best call as far as first date options probably. Um, shocking. Uh, we decided um, that we were going to meet after an intramural softball game. So it was like 11 p.m. at night. Um, I had no idea. We were going to go to coffee. And what do you wear to a coffee date? Can we all just agree? I'm not sure. So I'm wearing, this was really cool back then. I was wearing the button-up shirt, but with a graphic tee underneath because, yeah. And so, but I pull up to pick her up and I notice she's not quite wearing the same thing. Like, I'm more dressed up than she is, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So in one of my coolest romantic moves ever, as I'm driving up Mosier Circle, I take my shirt off, sh- stuff it in the back of my truck so that all she sees is the graphic tee, and it's like, oh, yeah, I wasn't overdressed. What are you talking about? This is casual. Um, it was great. So we go, we get in the car, we go to Sweet Eugene's, and we're sitting there, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember how the conversation got to this point, and I really wish I could because I wish I would be able to tell our children that story. But at one point, she looks me in the eye and says, yeah, you know, I'm just really happy being single right now. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm, in my head, I'm going, okay, I said this, yeah, I said this was a date. I, yeah, I paid for a coffee. Dad taught me to do that. We're doing okay here, right? <laughs> what is going on? And there's this moment, right, where I know... I'm going to go back and tell my buddies how this date went. And they were like, so you're never seeing her again, right? We're an impact. It's a large enough organization that we can kind of just like nod and not ever actually have to talk to each other. Um, but we're done with this, right? Because that's not the type of person you pursue. The girl that says she's happy being single, you don't really try to have a relationship with that when she tells you that on the first date, take the hint. But I don't know what it was. But in that moment, I looked at her and in my head, I just decided I want to keep seeing if she would like to get to know me. I want to keep getting to know her. And I don't know if that's going to come across as creepy. I hope not. But, <laughs> but I'd like to be in a relationship with her. And I'm not going to like be weird and force it. But I want to meet with her. And I want to hang out with her. And I want to get to know her. And so I'm going to do things to take steps in that direction in hopes that maybe this will lead into something. I want to pursue her. And our God has looked at the families of this world, all the peoples of this earth, and said, I want to pursue them. No matter what they look like, no matter how distinct or different they may be from my people, I want to pursue them. And I'm going to go out of my way to make this happen. Because there is no them in the pursuit. There is no them in the gospel. There is no them in the love of God. This pursuit is going to go as far, so far as to say, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Because there is no them in the sacrifice. Peter's going to get to Cornelius' house. And we have this interesting moment in verse 24. Cornelius was expecting them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius is calling all of his buddies. He knows Peter. He knows an apostle is coming to visit him. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And I love this moment. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too 
am a man. And Peter and Cornelius both have this moment because he's not talking about gender here. This isn't Peter, I'm a man. Cornelius, you're a man. This is we are both human. And neither of us deserves to be worshipped by the other. We stand on the same ground because we are both human. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And so Peter says to them, you yourselves know how lawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you then, why you sent for me? So Peter realizes something's happening here. The Lord is doing something. Cornelius is going to recount for him his vision, recount for him what the Lord had told him. And in that moment, right, Peter, all of a sudden the lights go on. Peter realizes what's happening. And you get to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, this term opened in the Greek is really interesting. It has the idea of unlocking or disclosing. Peter is disclosing and unlocking this truth for the Gentile people gathered there at Cornelius' house. And what is he going to say to them? Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him. After he rose from the dead. What is this thing that Peter is revealing? It's the life of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel message that God sent his son to live a perfect life on this earth. To die on our behalf. To be buried but then to come back from the grave. And this message of God's sacrifice is now being unlocked. It's now being disclosed for the Gentiles. Because there is no them in the sacrifice. There is no distinction whether these people look like what the religious think they're supposed to look like or not. There is no them in the sacrifice. And I think at times, I know I struggle with this. I see people who have certain sin issues or certain lifestyles, and I think there's no way that you could ever be a Christian. I was having a conversation even last night with one of our juniors who was talking to me about Justin Bieber. Um, and it was a guy. I know, crazy. Um, but we're talking about Bieber. And we're talking about how evidently Justin Bieber started meeting with like this spiritual advisor type person uh, who's a Christian. And at first, my initial response was, yeah, but what does that really mean? I know, like, I was just going, I don't, (laughs) I mean, come on, it's Justin Bieber, like, we know his music, I know his stuff, like, I know what he said about church being not like Taco Bell, and all this different stuff, I know, just go Google it, it'll be fine. Um, I know what he said, and I know what he looks like, and in my mind, I can't get around the idea that there's no way this guy could come to the gospel, and yet, 
I've prepared this sermon. And I'm presented with this idea that there is nobody who is outside the pursuit of God because Christ's sacrifice can be applied to anyone who by grace through faith on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ is saved. Celebrity or not, there is no them in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, because Christ has sacrificed for all of us, we see also that there is no them in the family of God. There's no distinction. Peter's literally in the middle of talking in verse 44. And while he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Like, he doesn't get to this, hey, you need to do this thing. Like, hey, this is what you need to believe. Like, the Spirit's just like, all right, it's time. And comes on down, and it's like, we're doing this thing right now. And the believers in verse 45, from among the circumcised, so the Jewish believers that are there with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. There is no distinction in the family of God. We don't have time, but if we went back and looked at Acts chapter 2, we'd see that the Pentecost that we see, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, is almost the exact same as what we see here in the Gentile Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit to them. We see both begin to speak in tongues, and we see both begin to speak in ways that, and languages that, the people around them know, but they would have no way of knowing. And in both, these tongues and these languages are coming out as them praising and extolling God because the family has no distinction and the Spirit has filled now both Gentiles and Jews. And there's no difference. Paul's going to talk about it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you all are one. In Christ Jesus. That because of the sacrifice of God, we are now all one in the family. And how can we tell? Romans chapter 8, if this passage wasn't enough. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What is the basis of this unity? What is the basis of our family? It's us being indwelt by the spirit of God. Not our skin color. Not what sins you're struggling with. Not your socioeconomic status or your political leanings. None of those things are the basis on which we are a family. It's the Spirit of God. One of the most interesting things when you get married is stepping into new family traditions at Christmas and other holidays. Okay? It's fun. It is. It's fun. Okay? So... My mother-in-law is the bomb at Christmas, all right? She is one of the best. So she does these, like, huge stockings filled with all of, like, the best goodies. I mean, really, like, the stockings are this big and stuff is flowing out of them. We also have, my, my wife has this other tradition where her family does pajamas on Christmas Eve. So you get PJs, you get dressed up in them, and then you kind of have family time hanging out, and it's awesome. But whenever I had my first Christmas, I didn't know what this was going to be like. You know, am I going to get, you know, one of those shirts that's too small and then I'm just trying to sit there with a pillow trying to cover myself up because I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't work out a ton. Um, <laughs> wasn't totally comfortable with that. What's my, 
What's my stocking going to look like? Am I going to get some fruits that maybe I'm not a big fan of or maybe some toys that, you know, whatever? Or am I going to get some stuff I like? I like apples. Will there be an apple in my stocking? I don't know. Because I'm not sure what exactly, how am I participating in this family? How does this family see me? But sure enough, Christmas Eve comes and I got some great pajamas that I still wear today sometimes um, that are awesome. And I wore them and it was great. They fit. They were comfortable. It was great. I woke up Christmas morning, go to my stocking, and it had stuff that I loved in it. It had Star Wars toys. I love Star Wars, all right? I'm so excited about the new movie. It was so great because my mother-in-law knew me and treated me like a part of her family. There was no distinction between me and her daughters. I was part of the family. It didn't matter that my blood was different or that I looked different. When you become a part of the family, there's no distinction. And it's the same way in the body of Christ. And God views us the same way that he structured this family so that all of us are united because of who Christ is and what he's done. Because there is no them in the gospel. There's no them in the family. And so if these things are true, what does this look like? How do we, how do we live this out? What, how does this affect who we are and what we do? Well, there's a couple things. First thing we want to do is, I want us to start to pray. Pray that we will see people as God does. And here's what I'd like for you to do this week. All of us, I think, have, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but all of us, I think, have sin issues that are more difficult for us to deal with when we see them in other people. And there's things that when I see somebody wrestling with or struggling with that sin, it's hard for me to show them grace. And so what I want us to do is start by praying for those types of people. So here are some examples of how you could do this. Um, maybe because of your history or, or whatever, you've seen the terrible effects of alcoholism. And so maybe one of the things that you struggle with is people who are engaging in unhealthy activity with alcohol. Guys, we have a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery that's here on Tuesday nights that is people working through their addictions and their issues. So if you tend to struggle showing grace to those kinds of people, what would it look like for you to start praying for them on Tuesday nights when they're meeting? What if you took Tuesday nights and said, I'm going to pray for those people for them. It's hard for me to love them. I'm going to start praying for them on Tuesdays. It's also been difficult, I think, for the church as a whole as we've try to address our stance on homosexuality to create a safe place for believers who have struggled or are struggling with same-sex attraction. And maybe that's a difficult place for you for whatever reason. And it's hard for you to think about or speak to Christians that are dealing with that struggle. And so maybe it starts with you this week creating a space in your life where you can pray for those believers. And let's pray specifically that the church as a whole, across our nation, across our world, would do a better job of creating safe space for them to have accountability and to have community that is life-giving. And those are just some examples of what this might look like for you to pray for those that, that don't look like what you're normally comfortable with. It might look and express and struggle with things that maybe you have difficulties with. So if that's affecting 
how we're praying, we also want this truth to affect how we engage this world. And we want to engage with those who are different. There's a couple different opportunities, I think, for us to do this. There's an organization in town called BCS Be the Bridge. It's this organization that is built around multiracial conversations, people coming to a table and talking about their worldview, their culture, and getting to know one another in a multi-ethnic environment. They have a Facebook group. I think it would be great for you to check it out. If you don't know a lot of people of different races, this could be an awesome opportunity for you to get to know and engage with, personally, some people that are different from you. If you don't have Facebook and you're one of the five people in the room like me, that's okay. They have emails, and so you can come up afterwards. I'll be up here. Uh, I know they would love uh, for you to email them and talk about how to get engaged and involved. Another opportunity that you have is our youth impact ministry here at Grace. I love what they're doing through that ministry to reach people that in different ways look different than us and that we may not always touch. It's awesome. But they need help, and they need people who are willing to step out and reach into the lives of those that look different than us, and we may not always want to engage. I'd encourage you, check that out. Do that. Maybe you're not sure you can dedicate some time to that. And so a couple other areas uh, that provide us some opportunities to connect with some people of socioeconomic differences are the local food pantries. Specifically, uh, we partner with the Bridge Ministries up in Bryan, and on Thursday nights, if you can give Thursday nights to go and provide some food for people that need it, you can get to know and engage with. It's not just handing them food. You get to walk them to their cars. You get to pray with them. And you can see the same people coming back every week. You can connect with and engage with those that typically we'd look at and say, oh, those people. And take this truth and apply it. And live it out. Guys, there is no them in the gospel because God has pursued, God has sacrificed, and God has included in the family all different types of people. And it's up to us to take this first step, this first opportunity to participate in this mission, to participate in what God has called us to. So I invite you, I encourage you, take these steps. This week, start by taking the smallest step at least one this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for these truths that you've taught us of how you pursue and how you care for the nations, how you pursue and you care for those that are so different from us. Father, I pray that we would not be caught up in who we are, what makes us comfortable, but God, that you would allow us to see the need for us to follow in the footsteps that you've laid before us to follow this call that we have, that there is no them in the gospel. And we pray these things in your son's name, by the Spirit. Amen.